We're passionate about bringing business leaders the insights you need to keep doing great work. And so are our friends at Belay. Belay is an incredible 100% remote organization, revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, social media managers, and their podcast, One Next Step, is so full of practical tips and actionable tools to help you run your business so it stops running you. Find them at onenextsteppodcast.com or subscribe in the Apple Podcast app today. Now, Let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome to System and Soul, the podcast focused on the human energy that runs your business. I'm Chris White, along with my co-host, Benj Miller. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Jake, drop that beat. Three, two, one. System and Soul, welcome back. We're going to have some fun today. I've got my co-host, Mackenzie Decker, on deck. See what I did there? On, on deck. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. Dang it. Not original. <laughs> but we've also got Bryn Enderkin. So fun. Bryn, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. But Bryn leads a huge team at Google, has a huge personality. And so we're going to have some fun today digging into her world and her view on leadership, leading, and Bryn, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So I could read your bio and um, all of your accolades and we could be like, who is this woman? But you you tell us, like, what as you think about who is Bryn and what does the world need to know about Bryn to give context, how do you frame yourself? Hmm. Yeah, jumping right into the philosophical questions this morning. I'm on my first cup of coffee, so I'll try to, you know, I'll try to answer that question, but, you know, give me some grace. No, I mean, I think that if I were to try to put in summation, like, what what do I stand for? What is important to me? You know, I think that I believe deeply in scaling ideas that have tremendous positive impact. Like if that was the tweet of like, you know, the gravestone tweet, like that would be the one thing that I'd want to leave behind in terms of my like professional and also personal interest is like, how, how do I interfuse scale and impact into the work that I do and into the relationships that um, surround me? Um, and so without reading my, my bio, those are the things that kind of percolate and distill throughout my career and my life. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know if that answers your question directly, but that's what comes to mind for me. Um, it's so intriguing. Um, I love that you said like scaling an idea because most people want to talk about scaling the, the business, but scaling an idea or scaling an impact, obviously there's correlation there, but uh, we're, we're definitely going to dig into this. All right. Since you left it out, you've been a chief strategy officer. You've been a, a chair at Harvard's innovation and ventures. You now lead a giant team, uh, at Google. What do you, what is your team responsible for at Google? Yeah. So, um, I work in feedback operations. So we do a lot of really interesting and exciting things. Some of which I'll kind of you know, not probably talk about on this call. Um, 
but we work on in-product feedback. So essentially, if you have a complaint or a feature request that you want to bring to Google on any product that you're on, it could be um, a core product, it could be your Gmail account, and you say, hey, like, I think that Gmail needs to be like purple, like all of Gmail needs to be purple, purple for life. Um, we get about 600 million reports a year that then we use machine learning and different types of, of processes to be able to filter and understand. And then we also have a team of folks that actually manually go through and interpret that information. That information then goes to our product teams and informs the process for which we use to make our products the best in the world. And so I work on the team that helps um, get that information back to products and work with the actual users to ensure that we have the best possible way to collect information so that we're, um, we're thoughtful and we're keeping users at the center of the work that we do every single day. So that's the team that I work on. And um, yeah, we are always innovating and thinking of new ways to ensure that our products are the best in the world. Um, so that's what I do currently at Google. All right. So just because this is so fascinating to me, how large is your team that does what you just said? Yeah, um, loaded question. We are um, a scrappy team. So we work, Google is a very large organization as you can imagine, um, but we work specifically in GTEC, which is the Google technology arm of, of Google. Um, and we also work with um, partners across the world that help support our work. So the folks that I mentioned that are manually going through these reports, there's about 350 of those folks. Um, and then we have a team that are based here in Boulder and in Mountain View of about six people that um, on a daily basis are, are you know thinking about this constantly. So, um, I said loaded question because it's constantly kind of moving around, but it's in the about 300 to 400 range. Yeah. That's amazing. Most companies aren't that big and, and you're, you're <laughs> you've got yeah. a team that big just to process the user feedback. So we're, we are talking about a scale that is different and um, you know, the ways that you have to think about the problems become different because you have to scale your solutions to that. I, I'm super curious, you know, you know, our format, we're going to get into the top three things on your mind, but I've got one more that's on my mind. What would you say, you know, leading this team and thinking about uh, how you, how we process, not, not tactically, but as business leaders who every business should be getting feedback from our customer, right? What are some of the key principles that you guys operate by? Yeah. Um, our team operates by several principles, one of which is that if we're not building something that is the best in the world, then we're not going to build it. You know, this is the kind of mantra of Google is like, we want to ensure that we are building the best. The second thing is that we want to keep our users at the very center of everything we do, which means that we have to understand our users. We have to have conversations with them. We need to know them from a data-driven perspective. Um, Google's really good at being data-driven on all levels, but we also need to have interviews and have a qualitative approach to, you know, uh, 
soften out the edges of a data-driven approach. So we have teams that actually have conversations with individuals to collect that information from a very personal level. Um, so I would think that those two items be the best in the world and, and ensure that users are at the center of what we do on every level are kind of paramount to how we drive forward innovation and drive forward our thought on how to approach every program and project that we work on as a, as a organization. Yeah. I can't speak for the entire company, of course, but no, that's just, something. That yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly kind of the realm of what I was thinking about is just, you know, you've got to have some principles for uh, processing, filtering the, the feedback. And if you're saying, Hey, you know, even, even one singular piece of feedback Obviously, it's from a user, so it's putting the user first. And second, does it contribute to building a world-class product, you know, best in, yeah. best in the world? And product, I think, so. you know, this is also a piece of it, too, that when you're within a large organization, because historically, I have worked in startups and built organizations. So being planted in the center of an organization um, you know, obviously, I am not the CEO of Google, um, but it's a different it's a different approach. I have to think constantly sideways. You know, who are my stakeholders across the organization and how does the work that we do impact them? And so unlike historically the work that I've done where I'm thinking, what is the impact of this on my team? And what is the impact of this on my customers? Now I'm having to think, what is the impact of this across the organization? If I don't work with uh, you know, my team to get the right information to go to products, then products aren't going to have the information. They need to be the best products in the world. So like I have to do my job effectively to be able to work sideways effectively. And I think that this is a, a big misstep when people go from being entrepreneurs to working within, you know, in my case, a large, a large company. Um, how do you manage sideways? How do you ensure that your stakeholders internally um, are very well served and you understand their business objectives because it's different than our business objective. But if I don't serve them well and hit their objectives, then I'm not doing my job effectively. So I think that's kind of a third principle that we live by as FBO, the, the team that I work on, um, because otherwise we get so caught up in our day to day that we lose sight of the fact that this is you know, essential for the operations of other teams within Google. Yeah. Hey, listener, if you're loving this episode, we've got an idea for you. Check out the One Next Step podcast. One Next Step is hosted by Belay CEO, Trisha Shortino, and CFO, Lisa Zeveld. They're serving up weekly episodes with actionable business tips and tools from fantastic guests like Damon John, Michael and Megan Hyatt, Chris Walker, and more. They cover everything from how to leverage your executive assistant to three tools to unlocking your leadership potential to what do you do if you can't hire a CFO? And every week they even offer a free resource like Belay's latest ebook, Delegate to Elevate. In it, you'll learn how to accomplish more by juggling less. So head to belaysolutions.com forward slash delegate. Download your free copy of that today. Now, let's get back to today's conversation. Man, all right. Top three things on your mind today. What are we going to talk about? Well, Ben. I don't know, ben, but Benj, I don't know that we got an interesting fact yet. I mean, those are all very interesting comments, but. <laughs> um, okay. That's, okay, why, okay. that's why you're here. Hold me to it, Mackenzie. 
Yeah, yeah, we got to stick to the schedule here, stick guys. The script, stick to the script. Okay, so I'm going to hit you with an interesting fact, which is that, you know, I lived in East Africa for four years in my 20s, which you can find that, you know, on my uh, social media and so on. But a fun fact is that I love to have fun. Like if I'm not having fun, I need to like check myself. You know, I get really bogged down. Some of the work that I do is very serious. So having a good time is like pretty key for my uh, well-being. And so I used to, on my lunch break, um, take out my little kayak because I lived on the River Nile. And often I would just go on like an hour cruise down the River Nile, um, down class five rapids on my kayak. In the middle of the day, and one time I took a conference call with investors from Europe while I was kayaking (laughs) down. I I, I put it on mute, I think, for the first rapid. I was like pretty much listening in. And then the second set of rapids, I forgot to to mute. And I was going down these crazy rapids. And after I finished, I kind of like got back on the call and um, they were like, are you okay? We were really like, that was really, whatever you're doing, are you in a car? And I'm like, Oh no, I'm not a car. Sorry. I can't. So anyway, um, that that's when everybody else is on a zoom call listening in, they're like putting their laundry in the dryer, you know, like that's what they're doing or they're doing their dishes. Yeah. Yeah. I've done. Yeah. Guilty of those things, but that's probably my most interesting. Um, you know, I'm on a call doing things that are not traditionally what folks do on calls. So anyway. <laughs> or safe. Or safe. Yeah. <laughs> not advised. <laughs> Fun doesn't always equal safe, though. You know? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's right. <laughs> we don't, I don't think we said this, but Bryn, Bryn and I uh, were, I guess you'd call us classmates yeah. in college. And... I have this one vivid moment of time. This is sort of adds to what you're saying about fun. And we would talk about, I think we talked about running because we could run around the campus we had was like unreal, tons of space. It was a great place to run. And I remember you telling me we were talking about it and I would just run around like the dorms and you're like, no, you got to go out, get on the trails, get off the road, go get lost in the woods. And I was like horrified by this idea, but I think that's like exactly who you are. (laughs) Make it more fun. Yes. Yes. Dial it up. Make it more extreme. (laughs) That's hilarious because I'm gonna. I digress. You're an Enneagram Seven. Yeah, I might have a wing for sure. Strong wing seven, I think. Yeah. All right. What are we talking about today? Top three things on your mind. What are you processing, learning, passionate about? Yeah. Gosh. Um, I mean, I think that this is such a. kind of way for me to think about framing the reality I'm in right now. Like I just came out of a very busy season of actually being in graduate school, renovating a house and working full time. I mean, it's like, you know, to the till, like you're, you're, you're moving at a 45 degree angle kind of thing. And I'm starting to take that 45 degree angle and tilt it up a little bit and like kind of stand up straight and reorient myself back into a, a normal pace of life. Um, and I think that that's often where we find ourselves is like we're, we're, we're operating at a 45 degree angle 
and we just get used to it. And so I'm trying to teach myself what it's like to say, okay, this actually isn't totally how I want to live the rest of my existence. How do I tilt back up? And I think entrepreneurs often find themselves, you know, totally tilted in and, you know, even the, the, the expression like lean in, you know, like tilt in, like, how do you get the most out of life? And I think that, you know, something that's on my mind very much so in the forefront is how do I, how do I consciously get out of the tilt in 45 degree angle to surface into a life that, you know, maybe I'll use the word sustainable, feels a little more sustainable, but more than that, opens up the brain space so that I can actually think creatively again. I think that oftentimes we jam pack so much into our world that we lose sight of the open space. And the open space is where we have our best thinking. And so for the last two years, I've consumed my, my open space with, with things. And so right now, something that's on my mind is how do I be bullish about giving myself the privilege of having that open space again? And, you know, that's a very, um, that's a lot of self-discipline that I need to hone in on. And if anybody has any tips, I'm open for the, uh, the council. Um, so that's forefront of my mind, you know, and I think that the second piece of, cause I put a lot of thought into this when, when, when McKinsey queued me up. Yeah. Um, well, hold on. Let's stick on that yeah. for one second, because okay. I'm, I'm curious, I'm, this may be too personal, but do you feel when, when you go from 45 degrees to, to straight up and you allow yourself that space, do you have a sense of guilt as a leader? Hmm. Yeah. You know, the answer, and it's taking me a moment because I want to think about in all domains of my life, not just maybe being in a meeting at work. Um, no, I don't. I think that the guilt that we have is so contrived around this notion, you know, as Americans, and I can say this because I can compare it to my world when I lived in Uganda, as Americans, we think that to be busy is to create productivity and productivity is our value right. that we bring to the world. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think that our greatest value is often associated with the quiet moments and the quiet moments that then distill for us what is important. And if we're living and working in the places of importance, then we're actually creating the most value. But you can't do that when you're at 45 degrees, um, unless you're like a savant at balance and you're a savant at like uh, understanding what's important and how to you know prioritize in life. I certainly am not there yet. So no, I don't think that I'm guilt. I, I don't think I feel guilty. I think that usually it's a runaway train where I get to 45 degrees and then I'm like, oh gosh, I can't back off the, the, the you know, foot on the pedal. Um, so yeah, but I have to remind myself that I can't feel guilty because you slip into that because you think that it's, you know, mission critical that you do everything that you um, have committed to, and then you add more things on your plate and then more things yeah. on your plate. So, um, yeah, that's a good question, but no, I don't feel well, guilty. I think, I think you nailed it. It's like, uh, cause for me, I have to remind myself, right. That that is where value is created and it's where your the best ideas are created. And it's also where you can maintain your health as an individual to bring your best 
when you do go 45 or 25 or, you know, whatever, when you do lean in, like you want to bring your best self. And if you're at 45 all the time, I I mean, most people that I know turn into complete train wrecks. Totally. It is, it is unsustainable. So, but you have to remind yourself that athlete, part of being an athlete, this is just my metaphor for it, is a hyper focus on uh, the, the recovery part of being an athlete, Mm -hmm. right? No, no great athlete in the world doesn't have a very disciplined recovery routine. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I totally resonate with that. Um, Yeah. And I think that too, like we often are in the sprint and then we think, oh, I can just take a vacation a year and that'll do it. (laughs) It's like, no, it means not working seven days a week. It means like actually giving yourself evenings and, um, yeah, that's where the magic happens in your mind and so on. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that lands for me. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. No, it's like, it's for, for years and years and years, the only good ideas I ever had were, um, in the shower or falling asleep at night. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it's because it's the only like time where my brain wasn't constantly being infused with other people's thoughts and, you know, tasks and stuff like that. And I'm like, Whoa, that that's maybe, maybe if I had more space, I'd actually have more good ideas. Who knows? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's cool. So I, I like your word tilt. That's a cool analogy too. Um, maybe that's hip Denver, Silicon Valley language. I hadn't heard that uh, expression, like the way of thinking about it yet. Um, so I, Ren, do you, I'm going to jump in and ask one additional question on it. Cause I know, I mean, you're leading a team now. Do you, how do you lead people in that? How do you lead people to understand when they're tilting too far or um, how do you, I mean, and you're working in a very, I would imagine very competitive space. And so I would imagine that that pull to tilt and lean in is really hard. Yeah. How do you, how do you lead people? Yeah. I mean, I think that the story that percolates for me when I think about, you know, managing a team and how to stand up straight is actually when I worked in the impact space, when I worked for as a chief strategy Mm -hmm. officer, as you mentioned, Benj, you know, prior to where I work currently, because right, Google is crazy in so many ways, one of which is that Google provides incredible resources for their employees. but when I worked in a in a place that was a startup and I was managing a large team, we did not have those resources. You know, I was the person that people would come to when they were having a loss in their family and they didn't know where to turn or they were working 65 hours a week and overwhelmed and hadn't communicated that to me. And so when I was managing that team as a chief strategy officer, and you know we were laser focused on innovation and growth and scale, um, it was it was ensuring that I actually was thinking before I did a request of my team. So we often, as leaders, we have big ideas that we want to accomplish, and the way that we do that is that we have a team that we can lean on that can execute on those big ideas, and then you build out sort of the structure to ensure that the execution can be done in a timely, effective manner. Um, But what often we forget is that we're working with humans and our, you know, humans are um, subject to 
a tragedy. They're subject to emotions and they're subject to having a powerhouse week. And we're not consistent as beings. And so it was actually knowing my team at a very um, deep level, knowing what made them tick, knowing what motivated them and ensuring that not only we had a weekly one-on-one, I mean, that's just the bare minimum, but that I had a very strong sense of what balance meant for them. And so when I was executing at a high level, we were actually constantly able to come backwards and do check-ins to ensure that we were all moving in the same direction. Because teams often fragment when leaders get so heads down on, on a vision. Um, and then that that tends to destroy teams. It's how you have high turnover. Um, you know, that's something you're fighting against constantly in this day and age. So it's knowing your employees, it's knowing how they operate, and probably more importantly, it's knowing that this mission and this vision aligns with their mission and their vision. And so the two are, you know, in sync with one another. Um, so I think that that it's a very personal kind of soft touch to management. I'm certainly not the leader that um, comes in and gets gets the team riled up and, you know, get them on a mountain high and then kind of leave them there to hope that they can they can actually survive at the top of that mountain. I mean, I think that's unrealistic. Um, but those tactical principles are things that took years to develop and a muscle that um, I'm constantly working to keep strong. But that that's something that when I was working um, in my previous job, I had to think about constantly. So, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it for sure does. And it sounds like it takes so much intentionality and just, I think myself working with the team, there is this, it's so true that no two people are right. led the same way. It's, it's, you can't, you can't just, um, it's not a package that you can just drop on them and say, here's how we're going to do it and, and hope that it, hope for the best. It, it requires real relationship, which is so rewarding too, but it, it's um, absolutely this, necessary. I, I don't want to skip over the obvious and just the, the um, you know, as System and Saul, we're encouraging, we're literally encouraging people to lead the way you just described, Bryn. So to call mm -hmm. that out, mm -hmm. there's a system side, even if it is every single week, I'm going to have a one-on-one. -on -one. That is a systematic discipline that you have in your leadership paired with, do I know how what we're doing here fits in with what this, this specific human wants out of their life, their purpose, their goals, their missions, their ability to you know, maybe they can't go 45, maybe they can only go 35 ever. And if they go mm -hmm. 45, they're done, they're crashed, they're out, you know? So like the, you, you just embodied in one, you know, a couple sentences, how to lead with system and soul. So I appreciate that and wanted to make sure we didn't skip over that. Cause that, that was a great example. Thanks, Benj. Hey, podcast listeners, this is System and Soul Coach Michelle Krulchek here to share a tip with you today that I give to my clients working to gain clarity and control of their businesses. The first phase of working with a leadership team starts by helping them get really articulate with the vision, mission, and values of the business. It's about getting everything out of their heads and aligned as a team. But the real magic happens when an organization puts in the same time and energy into pulling it through the rest of the organization. You help everyone clearly see what you can see and clearly understand their part in helping make it all happen. With clarity comes excitement, 
engagement, commitment, and probably the most important thing of all, trust. Mind you, it's easier said than done, but it pays off in spades when it happens. I hope you find this tip helpful. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Mackenzie, can we move to number two now? Yes, now is the time to move to question two. Topic two. Bryn, topic two. Topic two. Okay, so um, this is actually something that if you ask me, like, what is the thing that keeps you up at night when you're um, in the thick of thinking about the future of the business? It's, and I'm sure there's entrepreneurs listening to this that are going to say, oh, I get it. And that's, Strategy versus execution constantly, constantly at the forefront of my mind. You know, we have these really big goals. In the case of Google, we have objectives and key results, OKRs, mm-hmm. um, lots of frameworks for which you um, build out your quarterly, your your annual goals and, and strategy. Um, we can we can pause and dig into all those frameworks, but I will spare you. Um and then you have your execution, which is the daily maintenance of delivering on your strategy. And, you know, there's a huge balance to be uh, thought about when you consider how do you build a strategy that's inspiring, that's aligning against the the, the type team that you're um, working with, <laughs> in my case, a scaled operation, Um how do I ensure that this is delivering against what they're capable of, but it's also inspiring, but also it's achieving the goals of the business. So in my case, it's delivering up. Um, and then conversely, the actual execution of that, like the daily uh, grind of how to hit your quarterly goals. And sometimes, I mean, COVID is such a beautiful example of how that was just thwarted, like right on its head. You know, so many folks had these great quarterly and annual OKRs and strategy for what they wanted to accomplish. And maybe, you know, those were financial goals. And all of a sudden the economy halted and what are we going to do? And for me, the solution is I have to I have to keep strategy, you know, really at the forefront of everyone's mind. This isn't something we check in once a quarter. This is something that drives those one-on-ones bench that you're talking about. It drives the conversation at, you know, a daily water cooler level. Um, But also that there's a lot of agility in thinking differently about how we can execute on those strategies. So we're constantly workshopping, you know, as individuals, how to best deliver our strategy, given that every day is different. I'm a human and sometimes I wake up and I'm like, what's the point? How do I, you know, how do I actually, you know, get motivated today um, when, you know, the, the sky is falling. And sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to, this is a 12 hour day. Like I'm going to crush this day and it's going to be hyper productive. Um, because I'm just not, I'm not consistent because I'm a human. And so delivering against strategy during, during your daily maintenance of execution is hard. And so that's something that's just top of mind for me. And it's a perennial question. Um, There's lots of great research out there about how to create the discipline in your day to get the most out of it. Um, But what happens when even those things break? So yeah, that's the second thing on my mind, Benj. And McKinsey. 
I I don't even know what to ask because it's like yes, of of that is what I think entrepreneurs spend their time thinking about and figuring out. And um, the the questions are the thing the thing I captured is that to you, correct me if I'm wrong here. I was just trying to take notes, but it's like to you, it's important that the strategy is inspiring and aligned. And that the execution has some agility, some discipline, but also like some flexibility for humanity. Yeah. Wow, Benj. Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> you 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 summarized it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm good for. Mackenzie, you were gonna ask something. I well, I was gonna ask. Like as you, so you talked about workshopping the strategy constantly, which was that kind yeah. of, I was hanging on that because oftentimes when I think about strategy, I think about it being this sort of, um, it's a guidepost, like it's very firmly in the ground. And I think you kind of rattled that uh, belief for a second. And I want you to talk more about what you mean by workshopping the strategy as you go. And maybe even like, what That's questions great. do you ask? Like what questions are you asking as you're workshopping that really help you you know, improve it as you go. That was two questions, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go back a couple years. So I mentioned earlier in my little fun fact that I lived in, I lived in Uganda. While I was there, one of the things I worked on was building a renewable energy company with an awesome team of folks that were, you know, the founding team of the Empower renewable energy company. And um, when we were building this venture, this was a 10, 11 megawatt uh, biomass energy generating facility that then, you know, that's enough energy that you sell it back to the grid and then the distribution agency will distribute. So for me, I was 25 at the time. This was an enormous project. A $50-plus million project for someone that is 25 is overwhelming, um, but also very exciting. And I was the person, boots on the ground, kind of coordinating the government relations, the purchasing of the land, the 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 build of the team, et cetera. Um, most of my other teammates were in the United States. Um, so this is a big strategy. It's build a renewable energy company that can then deliver electricity to the government of Uganda um, at a certain tariff to be profitable against investment notes, right? Like that's that's the strategy. Breaking down the strategy into a daily delivery and execution was very, very hard. And so when you say workshopping the strategy, um, it was figuring out how do we take this high level and then break it down and then how do we iterate upon those, um, you know, sub steps of things that we want to deliver against for our investors. So, so that our daily routine is um, flexible enough that we can be able to change on a dime when, you know, this government official says, no, we can go to this government official and we can come with a different strategy and a different timeline. And, but we're still delivering against kind of our big mandate that we've communicated to investors. And so, it's ensuring that you are not thinking that your way is ever the right way. You're constantly thinking, how is my way um, going to complement everyone else's way? And that's like, I think, a true entrepreneur. You have to have confidence, but you also have to think, I, I am probably not even right 50% of the time. 
I need to be confident in what I say and confident in what I believe. But I also have to know that I am willing to change and think differently and consider my strategy radically different one day to the next in order to uh, kind of deliver against a much larger vision that we're working towards. Um, and so, I mean, in my opinion, like that's what I think the world's greatest entrepreneurs do. Um, and, and we all, I think that we have this like really interesting image of who an entrepreneur is. Um, and I think of, when I think of an entrepreneur, I think of a, you know, person that is inspired to make change that lands well with the community, that the community is willing to take that up. And so you have to know the community. You have to be able to change your objectives so that it lands better with the community, et cetera, that you're trying to serve. So Mackenzie, I know that was a wild goose chase I just took us on, but um, yeah, that's what I mean by workshopping is every day you have to think differently. You have to be able to um, modify what you thought initially was the right way, given um, your customers, your users, the community you're serving, um, to be able to deliver against a, a, a higher mission. I'm definitely learning that as I as I lead a team. Totally, and in Brain, myself. What's our third thing? <laughs> this one's so practical; it's uninteresting. So I'm totally willing to pivot from this third thing. Uh, we'll for take the it. On the record. <laughs> This is already going to be our longest episode in a while, so we can take take super tangible. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, this is going back to my days of starting, starting organizations, but raising money versus raising customers, constant battle, Um, your investors, and oftentimes you're the investor, right? It's your money. <laughs> you're you're ponying up to start an idea, but it's the expectations of the people that are investing are often different than the expectations for the customers you're building the product or service for. And that tension is so hot. Um, it's so hot because uh, you can literally burn to death <laughs> in the thick of those two worlds. And um you know, I think that as an entrepreneur, I have sat in the middle of that and allowed myself to get pulled to the investor side where the investor has said, you know, this is this is when I need to see, you know, returns. This is when I need to see impact. Um, and then I've capitulated after I get really fed up with that. And I'm like, you don't get it. I capitulate to, you know, what the customer needs and the customer is asking and, and need, you know, their, their, their wants and their desires. So I build something that lands for them, but then I run out of the money needed to be able to build that thing, you know, effectively. And so, you know, I think that this is a tension that we sometimes go, you know, we capitulate back and forth against. And when it's your own money, I think it's even more, um, hard because you often pull other people into it that are your, maybe your partner or your family, you know, what have you. And so there's expectations, um, on that end. And, you know, I think that I've not, I've not yet (laughs) understood how to strike that balance effectively, but I know that that's on the minds of many folks that are in the, you know, the for-profit space, building their own ventures, even folks building in their own nonprofits, you know, how does a funder and the people you're serving, um, how do you balance that up? Uh, so, 
I think that, you know, I can't answer this question for myself, but I just wanted to state it because I know that that's a tension I've experienced. And I know that it's something that um, if you don't keep at the forefront of your mind of how to balance it, oftentimes you, you naturally lean one way or the other, and that can be to the detriment of your employees, of the future of the company, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that you need to determine who your primary customer is. And, and there is a tension between, I'll add a third party in there, but your own employees, right? So mm-hmm. it's customer, your team or your investors, who is the primary, you know, customer, who's the primary audience of, of the, that triad. So yes. Um, another, another one of the many things that entrepreneurs get to deal with that most people just never even realize are a thing. Never have to even worry about. Yeah. (laughs) There's this, um, expression. I think it's biblical. You can't have two masters or you can't serve two masters and entrepreneurs are serving three masters every day. Like every day they're serving three masters and that is so daunting. It's so stressful. And it's sometimes just enough to acknowledge like, yo, this is a lot to balance. Y'all help me understand what we need to prioritize today as a team. Help me, you know, ensure that when I'm communicating to our investors or our financial supporters that um, we can't deliver on their quarterly objectives that we're, we're um, using the facts of what the customers are asking for to be able to answer why that's the case. Yeah. So I think that there's a, a <clears throat> let's just call it a balance of in pulling people into that. And I think that oftentimes as folks starting something, we are hesitant or, you know, concerned with what people think about our confidence, but it's the most confident leader that asks other people to inform their decision-making and their ability to lead. Um, you know, so. I so agree with that. We should just end right on that quote right there. Bryn, if somebody wants to find you, uh, look you up, connect with you, what, how's the best way to do that? Come to Niwak, Colorado. Find me at the Why Not Cafe. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a LinkedIn page out there. Um, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not big on the social media. That is, I had to make a decision a couple years ago of where to spend my time. And I don't do much of it on social media. So you can hit me up on my email, which Bryn Mary Interkin at Gmail, or you can hit me up on my LinkedIn at Bryn Interkin. Um, so yeah. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes. Hey, this has been a pleasure. It's been super helpful. I love where our conversation went today. So thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, Benj. Thanks, Mackenzie. Mackenzie, any parting, parting words? You got it. Leave us with a poem. You know, um, I was, you know what, I was going to say something that I think maybe John Ritchie, your coach Benj has said, and I know you said to me around what Bren just ended on, but, um, yeah. Asking for help attracts resources or expressing needs attracts resources. And I was just thinking that as you were rounding that out. And I just love the echo chamber of this, this kind of leadership talk, because I think it, it's just affirming for us. I think when we hear these kinds of things playing out in real yeah. life for people yeah. in all kinds it's of just, spaces. It's healthy so. And we forget that we're not 
Uh, just because we're at the top of the pyramid doesn't mean that we have to carry all the weight and all the decisions and all the responsibility and drive everything. So, uh, yeah, it just feels healthy to get off that 45 degree tilt every once in a while. Totally. Bring it back full circle. <laughs> Bring and it back. we are out.